Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Today's guest is the Executive Director of the Construction Labor Research Council. CLRC is the nation's foremost source of labor cost and related information of the unionized sector of the construction industry. Before coming to CLRC, he spent 14 years with the Tennessee Valley Authority, where he conducted extensive market studies on wages, salaries, and benefits, and led all the compensation-related negotiations with the construction trades and other unions. He has his doctorate in industrial and organizational psychology and is a wealth of knowledge about all things data in the union construction industry. So please help me welcome Carrie Peters. Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on with us today. It's great to you know have you here. Hey, thank you, Kirk. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to, to uh, telling you guys what little I know. So I always like to try to start the show off with something a little bit fun, you know, keep it keep it light. So I have to know, what is the last song that you had stuck in your head, like couldn't get free of it? Well, okay, that's that's a good one. So I love Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is my favorite band. I just went to a Pink Floyd tribute concert about a few weeks ago with a buddy who's my age and my son, who actually obviously much younger than me, but he also likes Pink Floyd. So I think I'll go with Great Gig in the Sky by Pink Floyd from their Dark Side of the Moon album. Nice, nice. Have you ever, have you ever had, uh, you know, outside of the, the tribute band, did you ever get a chance to see Pink Floyd live back in the day? So not Pink Floyd, but I did see Roger Waters, who is, uh, there, there were four members of the band, or five, but mostly four, and he was one of the big two. He's the one that wrote The Wall, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. But he uh, parted ways with David Gilmore, who was the lead guitarist and is the greatest guitarist ever, by the way. Um, But Roger Waters was the bass guitarist and provided a lot of creative content for that. So I saw him in concert in D.C. about five years ago. Nice. Nice. No, uh, when I was a kid, I think I was about 12, which would, would have made my brother, I don't know, 17, 18, and we were living in El Paso, and there was a uh, a Pink Floyd laser show in the canyon, and my brother, like, snuck out of the house, like, snuck out of the house and went and saw the Pink Floyd laser show in the canyon, and he got home, and he'd gotten caught and got grounded, and he walked in there like, explain yourself, and he's like, I figured, no matter what you did to me, it was gonna be worth it, and my parents were like, how are we supposed to respond to that? He had learned at a young age, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission sometimes. <laughs> well, awesome. Let's, uh, let's get into it. You and I have talked in the past, and you do the, you know, uh, this quarterly settlements report, the CLRC quarterly settlements report. And so for those that are unfamiliar, myself, of course, included in that group, talk to me a little about what is a settlements report? What, what does this go out and why is it quarterly? So a settlements report is our term. A settlement is when... Uh, labor and management, a union and a, a management entity like an association negotiates a contract. And the part of the contract that we track is the wages. That's off. It's not, I hate to say it's the most important part, but it is probably what people pay the most attention to. There are many other aspects of a contract, but the big uh, piece there, of course, is the wages. So when they agree on their wages, and their fringe benefits, then we call that a settlement. They have negotiated a settlement. 
And we track those for many different classifications for uh, many different unions in the construction industry. And we have the biggest database in the U.S. where we track these settlements between labor and management on their on their wages and fringe benefits. And the recipients of that, the people, you know, the people that have commissioned, the, the, the people that you give these reports to, what is it good for? It's good for benchmarking in large part. It's just maybe you could say we're the, uh, the CPI of the union construction sector of the construction industry. So a lot of times in the news, we've all heard of the CPI, the cost of living. And that was a big deal a year or two ago when it was very high. But you even hear about that when it's not times of inflation. It's a metric that tells us how expensive things are. So in a sense, we're kind of like that, but specific to the union sector of the construction industry and focusing on uh, wages and fringe benefits. So those Unions all over the U.S. and their management counterparts are curious when they begin when they get ready to negotiate a new contract, which is typically every three years. But there's no set time. That's just the most common amount. But they're curious. Well, what is happening in the rest of the country? That gives us a context for, or gives them a context for what they might negotiate for their particular situation. For example, electricians in Peoria. They're getting together, some labor representatives get together with some management representatives, and they're like, well, how much are we gonna make your increases? Well, we can give them at least maybe kind of a starting point as to what's happening out there. So as my understanding is like this week, right now, you're finishing up this quarter's uh, settlements report. By the time people are listening to this next Tuesday, it will have just come out. So I guess the question is that one. What's happening? What's uh, what's going on in, in the, the industries and the settlements? Yeah. So big changes, big changes. I think we're even though inflation has slowed a lot, I think there was some pent up demand out there the last couple of years, and now we're seeing that come through in new settlements. The settlements sometimes are a little slow to react to what's going on in the economy because they're typically a three-year agreement. We've seen some for a year. We've seen some, I looked at one the other day that was, I can't remember, nine or 10 years. That's that's pretty rare, but typically three years. So there might've been a settlement that was reached in 2020 before, you know, inflation took off. So we saw this peak in inflation. And now here in 2023, they're ready to renegotiate. The union probably is going to want to catch up with what happened in society during the last couple of years with five, six, seven, eight, nine percent inflation. And because of that, even though inflation has gone down a little bit now, we're seeing pretty high increases. So these numbers that I'll give you are, are tentative. We've not done our final analysis of them, but I can tell you we're close. They won't be much different from what I'm sharing. So what we're seeing in first year settlements is about a 4.5% increase. That's the national average across the settlements that we have in our database. Contrast that with the end of 2022, which was 3.8%. So we're already seven tenths higher here, just a little over six months into 2023 on average than we were on average in 2022. And 2022 was eight tenths higher than it was in 2021. So if we go back just to, to 2020, excuse me, 
our average is 2.8 and now we're looking at approximately 4.5. That's a very large jump. Let me ask two quick questions in there for the people like myself that aren't very smart. These settlements, do they stay pretty in lockstep with general inflation or are they completely independent? Are they related? How closely can you predict uh, settlement increases to kind of inflation? Yeah, I, I think they're, you know, uh, I wouldn't say they're in lockstep, but they're correlated. They're, they're pretty close. But like I said, there could be a lag time because a typical settlement is three years. So those that are agreeing today on, let's say, this average, 4.5. So typically, each year of the settlement is about the same. So if they have three-year settlement, it probably is 4.5, 4.5, and 4.5. Sometimes it might be a little different. It could be 4.5, 4.6, 4.7. I mean, that's kind of a small difference, or 4.5, 4.4, They're pretty consistent. So three years from now in 2026, they will be receiving or they'll be negotiating again, coming off of a 4.5% increase three years in a row. Let's say inflation has been down in the you know, low 3% for a few years. Who knows what it'll be? At that point, then they'll recalibrate and very likely not negotiate another 4.5% ingre- uh, agreement. If, let's say, inflation is 3%, they would probably get a lot closer to 3% then. But it took them three years to get there because they typically, about two-thirds of settlements are for three years. Okay. Actually, I have two more uh, quick questions. So you, you said, you know, eight-tenths of, of a point is a huge... Give me kind of a benchmark here of what would be a very small... You know, is it Point one. What's very small and what's like egregious? Oh my gosh! You know the stock market's crashing. Kind of huge jump. What? What is the? What's the margin of error? Not the margin of error. What's the threshold? Yeah, yeah. What's typical? So from 2011 to 2019, is that eight years? In our in our settlements, we went from 1.7 to three. So that's a 1.3 percent increase in eight years took eight years. Oh. Okay. It took eight years to go 1.3% from 2011 to 2019. For us numbers people, it was kind of boring. Nothing was going on. If you chart it, it's just a little slope, kind of like a gentle increase up the hill in your neighborhood when you're doing, going on a walk. Then in 2020, we reported 2.8%, as I mentioned, and we're going to report here halfway through 20. 23, 4.5. So, you know, we're at about 1.7 and it took a year and a half, two years, whereas it took eight years before. So it did in 18 months what had taken eight years previously. No, that's a, that line on that graph is looking a a little more daunting with that kind of uh, trajectory. And, And it makes a difference to contractors who are the ones that will pay this amount. And so they pay close attention. Labor cost is a big part of their, of their work materials and other things are also, but it certainly has a big impact on contractors because it's greater cost for them. But the workers, it's important to them because a gallon of gas and a loaf of bread, bread cost a lot more now than they did in 2020 also. Especially if you're trying to buy eggs. Especially if you're trying to buy eggs. So you've said a couple times, you know, in the first year, second year, third year. What's the difference between the first year settlements and like the overall settlements? So the, the first year settlements is that. So again, we'll go back to this typical three year settlement. Could be two years, could be five years, but three years is most common. 
the first year of that is what's new. So when labor and management sit down to bargain, that's what's new. No one knows what that is. Now, typically they'll negotiate all three years of those agreements. So here at CLRC, we like to know that. We want to know what the second year is and the third year because we can then predict what next year and the year after next year will be because they've already told us what that amount will be, 4.5%, 4.7%, whatever it is. They've told us that, but the new number is what they sat down at the bargaining table, typically in the months of June, July, and August, and negotiated new numbers at the uh, following the conclusion of the previous contract. We also do, however, track all years. The first year is probably most important for those people that are sitting down to negotiate a new contract because it's more current and it tells us what's happening around the U.S. now, now meaning 2023. All settlements is helpful because it also includes what was the second year of settlements from last year and the third year of settlements from two years ago. So it that statistic contains many more numbers in it. It's more robust. It's a, it doesn't bounce as much because there's many more numbers in it. And it does represent what contractors are paying in the aggregate right now because they are paying an increase that was the third year of a settlement reached two years ago. They're still paying for that. And so we track that value as well. So both all settlements combined and first year have different uses and different meanings. But for those that are hitting the bargaining table, and those are the ones that do look the closest at our reports probably because it's like, uh-oh, here we go. We're going to be bargaining. They're going to they're gonna key in a little bit more on those first year settlements. So I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that. So, you know, if I am, I you know, I'm not the the CFO. I'm not the accountant. I'm not the, I'm just the guy at the table. I'm the, I'm the negotiating guy. And I have these numbers what do they tell me? What do I use this number for? I was like, hey, look, these settlements, here's the here's the total, here's the first year. What does that empower me to do? What do I have with that information? Well, you're going to use it just as a gauge, as a, as a data point, as a resource for your own negotiations. But each negotiations is its own entity. And so you don't have to do what CLRC says, here's the national average by any means, but probably both parties, labor and management, are going to look at that as kind of a guide and say, here's what's happening in the rest of the country. There is sort of a, a little bit in compensation and effect where people want to know what everyone else is doing. And they say, oh, they did that or they did that. And so we should give some deference to that now. Labor might look at, you know, we have a lot of data cuts, by the way, and we might get into this in a little bit. We have cuts by craft and by region. So, you know, each side of the table may tend to focus a little bit more on the data cuts that favor them. So labor might say, well, let's look at, they'll peruse our report and say, let's look at, and they'll find a high number. Let's look at this area. Let's look at the Northwest. They have high numbers. So that might appeal to labor and, and uh, management might say, well, yeah, but we're not in the Northwest. We're in Missouri. So let's look at these numbers and whatever craft we are. So there's a little bit, I will not say cherry picking of data, but you know, we're all going to slant our interest toward one set of data or the other. 
you actually cued me up perfectly for what I was about to ask, like back to my, you know, gallon of milk or a dozen eggs thing. Those cost different if you're buying in New York City than if you're buying in, you know, Winchester, Virginia. How do how do settlements vary by region? How what kind of variance do we see? Yeah, we do. We see a fair amount of variance by region. And again, remember, in this in this world, one percent is kind of a lot. You might think, well, that isn't a lot, but it is uh, uh, think, of, think of people who are getting ready to, re- to retire. You know, the, the stock market goes up a little bit and they get all excited. It goes down just a little bit and they get all worried. And that might even be less than a percent. So anyway, the game we're talking about here, a percent is a meaningful amount. So we do have some range. So I, in, you know, to get ready for you, Kirk, on this podcast, the, the highest region right now is the Northwest. And they've kind of been leading the way uh, for us for a little while. We're looking, our average now is, is you know, around 5.5% for the Northwest region. That in large part is, is Washington, Oregon, Alaska are the three big states on the Northwest. So they're pretty high. We've seen that for a while. As a dollar amount, that's $4.12 on average. When we look at the low end, and we don't have a lot of settlements yet for this area, but New England is lower, believe it or not. This is uh, you know, going to be uh, Massachusetts and states around Massachusetts, around 3%. New England is lower than the Pacific Northwest? Yes, at least right now. And it's been that way. Yeah, it's, when I look at our report, year-end report from 2022, the Northwest was well ahead of New England. Sounds kind of interesting. I, I've lived in I've lived in Boston. I've lived in Seattle, and I find that fascinating. Seattle, even a little bit in Wyoming. I know that's not going to move the needle a lot because of low population, but uh, yeah, Washington State. We see a lot of high settlements in, in inland. They have an inland area they call the, more in the Spokane area and the eastern part of the state, but certainly in the Tacoma and the Seattle area. Large settlements out west. And, and Southwest, Pacific Southwest. We don't have a lot of settlements yet from there. But last year, the uh, Southwest Pacific, which is characterized by California and Arizona and Hawaii, big settlements. So if you're on the left part of the U.S., that's where it pays more for union union crafts. Now, I had not thought of this until you said it a second ago. And this is a, one of those questions that I really don't know. Obviously, geography is going to pay, but would settlements in one region vary craft to craft very much, or do do regions stay pretty similar? No, it'll vary. From there's two very two big variables. I mean, at least two big variables. We run two data cuts. It's going to be your craft and your region. I do think region might have a little more influence on the settlement than the actual craft. So whether you're a pipe fitter or an electrician, there's still going to be differences. But the fact that you're in the Pacific Northwest might have a bigger influence on that than which craft you are. But certainly there's there's craft variances. I do. Okay, what is what is the standout? What, what are the standouts? Yeah. Uh, millwrights, believe it or not, are pushing, you know, the high six percent right now. And that so that will be across the entire U.S. It'll include the Northwest. It'll include the Southeast, wherever we're able to get those settlements. But millwrights are are high. The others that are over 5% are carpenters. You know, mill rights are kind of negotiated by the carpenters union. And then we have laborers um, in our database as of now, a little over 5%. And then the other one is pipe fitters. Uh, those four crafts right now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, uh, carpenters, 
laborers, millwrights, and pipe fitters, steam fitters, pipe fitters together are all over five. And I just want to remind you, this is going to be our uh, second quarter settlements report. We'll do another one after the third quarter and then a year end one after the fourth quarter, which is the end of the calendar year. So we are going to be continually adding uh, probably a few hundred settlements and um, um, hopefully hundreds more. And so these numbers could change. So just kind of like you go to a ball game at halftime, you might think you know who's going to win, but you might not as well. So we're kind of past time right now. No, you, you really want to wait for the seventh inning before you make any big predictions. Yeah. And if it's you, that's when you put the big bets in, isn't it, Kirk? Yeah, it certainly is. Setting stretch. <laughs> so what, uh, how about the other side? Again, who's, who's on the lowest? Who's the, who, are the, who are the ones standing out at the, at the low end? Yeah, on the craft side, so I mentioned as far as regions go, we have the New England, which is a little surprising. Um, and again, that could change. On the craft side, glaciers, a little bit low, right at about 3%. And looking at my list here, all others are at least 3.5%. So they're, you know, remember a year ago, our average is 3%. So the low ones now are half a point higher than what our average was. But a couple of others, at least now, that are a little bit low are, looking at my list, plasterers, about 3.5%, and teamsters, about 36 and And most of the rest are around 4%. So they're pretty close to the average there. And again, this could change. I've always been told there's no such thing as a stupid question, but I'm absolutely going to challenge that assumption now with this next one of, on the low to 6% on the high when point percentages is a big difference. That's double. That's, that's what causes such a variance. Like I'm not trying to talk broad screen of economics. I'm not trying to say, you know, speak out of turn here, but what would cause that big of a change? I mean, a a discrepancy. That's a very good question. We have to send you to economics school (laughs) here and our teacher. Please no. (laughs) It's a good question. So, There could be uh, many factors, one of which is a little bit spurious. By that mean, I mean, it may not have directly to do with what's actually happening. It could be early in the process now, we have a few more settlements from a high region in the country for craft A and a few more from a lower paying region of the country for craft B. So that has a little bit of a kind of an intertwining of the region and the craft. So that could be one factor, that we just have more high settlements for one craft than we do for another. But other, there are more, you know, just site-specific issues. One of the biggest would be market share. So in a given area, what's the workload for that union? The workload is heavy, and there's a lot of jobs. There's a new chip factory coming for a billion dollars or a new, you know, Ford's going to build or GM or somebody's going to build there, then this demand on work will, generally speaking, kind of benefit labor, benefit the union. So that's going to make the settlements go down. A huge demand. It might make them go up. Oh, make them go up. Oh, oh yeah. that makes, I'm sorry. Yes, that, go up. Yeah. yeah. That will help a labor because they're going to say, well, you got a lot of work coming to the contractors. You know, you guys are going to be busy and making a good profit, we'd like to share in that. Share in that. No, that makes sense. Firstly, if 
the work is limited and everybody's leaving town or market shares going down, management could lay claim that, you know, we just can't be competitive with non-union contractors. They have lower wages. They're winning more of the bids. We're not getting enough work and we need some help on the wages side. And by the way, materials skyrocketed, which we have a report that we've done. Uh, you know, last couple of years, uh, inflation was high, but the cost of commodities that contractors buy was much higher yet. So contractors could say, you know, lumber and cement and iron is killing us. And so we just, it's going to be real hard for us to provide large increases now because work is limited. So when the work is lower in that part of the country, then that would push toward a lower or smaller increase. So those could happen. And one other thing that we've seen, particularly coming off of COVID, once in a while, the, the parties may have kind of kicked the can down the road and said, look, we're just, we're just going to do a one-year agreement. We're not even going to touch the wages or it's just going to be a very small increase because uh, this COVID thing, we don't know what's going to happen next. And so they did that. And now COVID's kind of over. And so they have to make up ground because maybe there wasn't much of an increase for a year. And normally that would have been 3%. So now we're negotiating and uh, the parties, you know, reach an agreement where it's a five or 6% increase because there wasn't much for a year. So I don't want to get us off track with hypothetical economics, but I'm more curious about this than anything else. And I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. Could these numbers, I understand what makes them go faster and what makes them go slower. Is there a scenario that they would ever go down? Like settlements would go into a, like, that prices would drop? So what goes up must come down is not true in compensation. So it's very rare. And before I did, I've been in this job about 12 years. I worked in a big company before here. It's exceedingly rare for a given employee to have a pay cut. But it could, it could happen, certainly if they're in the same job. That is exceptionally rare. Now, if they took a new job, whether it's in the same company or somewhere else, of course, maybe the job pay as much. But for the same job, pay almost never goes down. So a journeyman in Peoria, like I said earlier, who's an electrician, will never, and they're making you know, $50 making up numbers here this year, it will not be $49 next year. And that is what I assumed you were going to say. But when we're working from contract to contract, you know, we might negotiate a different contract. So I just wanted to see if that ever happened. No, okay. You bring up a good point. Sometimes, though, I've seen a, some people call it a market recovery rate. And so in a contract, they might have, here's our rate, $50. But we have a market recovery rate that the parties have to agree to use. That's 90% of the dollar package. And they can use that for select projects. So maybe a contractor says, wow, we really want this new Amazon distribution center or whatever it is. But to be competitive, I don't think we're going to get it at the 100% rate, the, 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 the journeyman standard rate. Can we go to 90%? And maybe the parties agree to that. So that is it. That is, I'm glad you brought that up. That could be an example of a situation. It's situational, though. It's not a standard. But it wouldn't be a standard, and it would probably never hit the, the average across the industry. It would hit, be a job-specific. Very job-specific and location-specific. Now, I want to caution the listeners to one thing. You may see averages that are lower, though. 
And we see this, we're heavy users of BLS data, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and so they do surveys and they check what people are paid. Sometimes we've noticed that the average rate for a sheet metal worker could be lower one year from one year to the next. Now, I've just kind of gone off on you here telling you how no individual has their pay cut. And that seemingly extremely true. But the average could, and that's simply a function of BLS surveying a different, the sample is not exactly the same from year to year. So next year, this year's sample may over, only overlap 80% with last year's sample. And so that new 20% might have a lower pay rate. So that's just the margin of error within the sampling. Margin of error, yes. And so we, can, we even see that a little bit at CLRC, although we're, we're very aware of this sort of statistical phenomenon and we try and control that as much as we can. But it's a, it's a fact of life in the world of surveys. Love it. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you actually just touched on it, but I wanted, you know, just for the listener and a little bit myself as well, where do you get this data? This is going into a lot of, you know, pay rates and kind of, you know, closed door contract information. Where are you getting the data? Yeah, we, we get it wherever we can. We often just kind of rummage through trash cans in town and we find them. And, and when that doesn't work, then we we go to, we have a lot of sources. So CLRC is well supported by associations in the construction industry. Talk is one of our favorites, by the way, you guys, but we have others such as MCAA for the mechanical trades, NECA for electrical, AGC for the basic trades, and, and many others. And so their regional chapters, affiliates, associations are probably our primary source of data. They know who we are, they believe in what CLRC does, and they know that they need to give us their contract so we can populate our database with that. And in return, we, we produce the settlements report at no cost to any of them. So they get it for free. So there's a little bit of a quid pro quo. And we really appreciate it when these regional chapters provide us with their data. That's our primary source. We get some data directly from unions, you know, various other sources, but by in, in, in large part, it's through uh, associations. No, I'm, this is a, uh, this is some cool, like kind of fascinating stuff. And so this one, this, uh, the quarter two is coming out this Friday, which this podcast will be coming out Tuesday. So it just came out last Friday as the listeners are listening to this and is available you know, definitely to the to the associations that provided the data. I'm I'm kind of interested to look through it and kind of uh, see some of this stuff. I, it'll be fascinating. Well, that we 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 love people to read it. We always uh, we're open to feedback if anyone wants to, uh, you know, give us their insights. But we we just love we we really do enjoy. It's a lot of work, I guess I should say, collecting this kind of minutia, collecting a lot of settlements, populating a database with that, running the analysis. But it it makes us satisfied to know that it is a well-received and often used resource for labor and management all over the U.S. as they're, whether they're entering into bargaining here in the summer or in the fall, or they just want to know what's going on. We, we, we enjoy the fact that others use it and, and find value in it. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, I wanted to get into a little bit more of the the minutia of the what is it and what is it for and what does it do uh, this time. But we definitely want to have you come back next quarter and, and update us and kind of keep this conversation going about what's going on, because I think this is valuable data for people to just kind of be aware of and hear not just spread out in a spreadsheet, but kind of talked about and, and see what's how the numbers are moving. Yeah, that's great. Invite me back. We'll, we'll tell you more. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie, so much for coming on, and we look forward to uh, seeing more of you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Take care, Kirk. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 